0: pray together. Almighty God, creator of the heavens and the earth, the wind and the rain, the God who knows us so intimately, so beautifully, who loves us unconditionally. God, we're just grateful to be in your presence, to soak in that. And I pray, God, this morning, That you use your words to transform and change us, to challenge us, to exhort and encourage us and bring joy to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hmm. So as a boy, one of the things that I really, really loved to do was read comic books I love comic books, and my favorite comic book was Spider Man. And uh, it was so fun on a summer's day, you know, to stretch out on my bed and grab a comic and just kind of let my imagination run wild, get lost in a whole different place, and igniting this great desire in me to be a superhero. I really wanted to be a superhero. And I don't know about you, if, if you liked comic books or not, but maybe if so, you remember at the back of the comics. They always had these crazy comic book ads. As a matter of fact, I I noticed, um, I ran across this this, uh, blog that called 11 shameless comic book ads that cost us our allowance. (laughs) Uh, Here's a few of them. Up here, we have the Polaris nuclear sub, fits two kids, it launches nuclear missiles and it only costs (laughs) $6.98. Then you have the exploding army hand grenade. <laughs> you pull the pin and four seconds later, it explodes. <clears throat> Sounds like a great Christmas gift for a kid, doesn't it? <laughs> then over here, we've got the hypno coin, which you can buy, and you can hypnotize your friends so that they walk around like zombies. <laughs> now, here's a really amazing invention. It, uh, it's, it's called the uh, Space Cadet Invisible Helmet there on the left. This reportedly, you put it on and you become invisible and no one can see you. I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? And then there was sea monkeys. How many of you out there had sea monkeys, right? Yeah. They looked just like the picture, didn't they? No, not at all. And then there was this, you control seven foot live ghost, right? It rises, it falls, it floats. You can scare your friends. So when I saw this, I was so excited. I had to have it. So I saved up my quarter-a-week allowance until finally I could send my money in, and I went to the mailbox every single day waiting for that box to come. And when it finally did, I ripped it open with sheer delight, and inside I found one small white balloon, one white trash bag, and some fishing line. oh my goodness, I screamed and I cried and I hit my pillow on my bed. I was so disappointed, poor little me. It was horrible. (laughs) Now, I want to be a little vulnerable with you and I hope this is okay. But to be honest with you, there are times that my spiritual life, I also encounter times of disappointment. You know, back when I was a teenager, I went through a time when all of the pillars of my life began to crumble I remember the day that my parents sat us down and told us they were getting a divorce. At the same time, I was having this inner war, this battle of self-hatred and shame as I'd made choices that I really, really regretted. And I was on a path that I felt I couldn't change. I was drowning. And then someone told me about Jesus and that Jesus loved me and that Jesus could change my life. And I really thought about that. For a long time. And then on one day, similar to Vicki's story, I just cried out to God and I said, God, you know what? If you're real, if you're out there, I need you desperately. Jesus, forgive me because if you're not there, I don't know that my life is worth living. And you know what? He did. He came into my life. And for the first time in my life, honestly, I never felt so alive. And for a couple years, I was on this Jesus high. I was so excited about my life with Jesus. But then over time, I started to realize that some of the areas that I had been stuck in, I was still quite stuck. And there were long seasons where I felt like God didn't hear or answer my prayers, and I just couldn't sense Him anywhere. My head was flooded with doubts and frustration, even anger. And uh, I just remember saying, Jesus, I thought you were going to change my life. Why is my life still such a mess? Why do bad things keep happening to me? You ever been in a time like that? (laughs) Yeah. Where the abundant life that Jesus promised is sort of kind of like a deflated balloon and you stand there, you've tried so hard, and you feel like you're just standing there with a bag of guilt. <clears throat> so where is it? Where is the hope? Where, is there freedom? Is there real, true change? Over time, I answered that question for myself. I found that it's found in grace. And that a deeper understanding of God's grace helped me and changed me. See, I discovered that by God's grace, He saved me. He transformed me, He gave me new life. He made me his child, and that also I discovered that one day by grace, I will be glorified. One day I will walk into heaven and be with God in His presence. no more sin. No more brokenness, no more disease, no more death. I'll be with God and his people. But what about the now time? What about my day-to-day, every single lifetime? Well, what I've discovered is that God's grace is here for me in my everyday life as well. You see, what I've learned is that grace can sanctify me. It can change me day by day to make me more like Jesus. So how does this work? Well, today I want to talk about practices of grace. Practices of grace that help connect us to Jesus Christ, that put us in his path so that his grace and his life can transform us. You know, we see many pictures of this in the Bible, examples of it. For instance, maybe you remember Zacchaeus. You know, he was that short little guy. He was this greedy little tax stealing conniving tax collector guy and he climbs up into a sycamore tree so that he knows that jesus will pass, pass by he gets himself in jesus path and sure enough jesus sees him and gives him his grace and his whole life has changed and then there was the woman and she'd been bleeding for years in pain and shame She snuck her way and she just thought, if I can just get in Jesus' path close to him, just touch his robe, maybe I will be healed. And that's what she did. And when she touched him, the grace of Jesus flowed to her, healing her body and healing her soul. And then there was the blind man, Bartimaeus, right? And Bartimaeus just knew if he could just get into Jesus' path, he cried out for help. He cried out for healing. He cried out for mercy. And he met Jesus along that path, and Jesus healed him and gave him hope. See, friends, grace can save you. Grace can set you free, can give you a glorious future, and grace can walk with you day by day and connect you to Jesus. And so we're going to talk about these practices of grace that help put us in a path where we encounter Christ on a regular basis and his life changes us. So the first practice, if you pull out your uh, insert, the message notes there in your program, the first point we're going to look at is the first practice is to believe, which is the practice of faith. Now, faith is the key that unlocks the door of grace. Faith is believing God, trusting God, depending and counting on God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. And then in Hebrews 6, it tells us that faith pleases God. God wants us to trust him and believe in him. So we're going to walk through the very beginnings of the very early church And look at Acts 2, 38 to 47, you can turn there, and we're going to see how from the very beginning, living with Jesus has been about experiencing God's grace through practices that connect us to him. So let's look at it. As we get started here, the context is Jerusalem during the festival of Pentecost, where all people, these pilgrims came to celebrate this festival together. You got people from all different places, different languages, different countries, and they're celebrating Pentecost. God sends his Holy Spirit on the disciples, and then Peter stands up to proclaim about Jesus and encourage people to have faith in and believe in him. Acts 2, 38 to 39. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. People, Peter calls on the people to trust in and to believe in God, to have faith in him. See, it's by trusting in Christ that we enter into the God's family and that he saves us. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. If you notice, it's faith that saves us but it also says this faith in which we now stand. You see, there's daily grace that we have, that we stand in this grace, that grace helps us to trust and believe in God every day. Grace is available as we incorporate practices of faith that place us in Jesus' path to help us receive grace and hope and faith and expectation for every day. I mean, think about it. Do we practice faith? Each day, do we expect God to show up, or do we ever place ourselves in a situation where we absolutely have to have God show up? Because when we do, God arrives with grace. You remember when Moses? You know he he's at the Red Sea. He's got all these people of Israel. He's he's taken care of. Pharaoh's army is charging with chariots and weapons, and they're ready to wipe out God's people what does God ask Moses to do he asks him to walk out into the Red Sea to take a step of faith before the waters part and you remember Esther she had to walk out and approach the king who could kill her at any moment but she had to step forward in faith before she received grace Peter Peter had to step out of the boat before he could walk on water. Believe. Faith is a catalyst to grace. Faith puts us in the path of Jesus, a place where God meets us. You see, faith is not believing that God can or will do something, but that he is doing something. Faith is seeing God move in our everyday life. The next practice is the practice of belong. The practice of belong, which is the practice of community. Community. See, God has created us for common unity. Common unity. Community. God is a relational being. He lives in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He lives in this joy of shared community. Now, often we struggle with community and connection with each other, right? Because that's one of the primary ways that we're broken in sin in the fall. It's one of the primary ways it affects us, is our ability to connect and to give with one another. Now, in the early church, one of the most amazing things that happened, again, as we talked about all these pilgrims and all these different people that came together, when they received Christ, they were instantly connected, united, these diverse groups of people, Enemies. We're connected as one in Christ and one another. Acts 2.41 says this. All those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All these pilgrims, all these different people, backgrounds, languages came at Pentecost. Peter presents the gospel to believe in Jesus. It unites them as one. This diverse group of people was baptized into this dynamic union with Jesus and one another. Galatians 3:26 to 28 describes this union for it. It says, For you are all children with God through Christ Jesus, through faith in Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer any Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one. In Christ Jesus. Every dividing barrier was eliminated. They were adopted and united with Jesus. See, God has destroyed the sin that separates us and restored us to our beautiful design, which is to be united with him and with one another. And it's in this unity, in community, that God's grace is Unleashed, and we become more like him. Ephesians 4 15 and 16 says this We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and fully full of love. This is Jesus' design for his church. The body of Christ. He puts us together, unites us as one. We help each other grow. We listen to each other. We heal each other. We encourage each other. other. Romans 12, 5 tells us that we are many parts of one body. And we belong to each other. <clears throat> when we practice community together, we receive God's grace, the presence, and the power of Jesus. Right? Didn't Jesus tell us this? You remember in Matthew eighteen twenty, he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. And when we gather in fellowship with one another, and when we're connected, Jesus is with us practicing communities, more than kind of showing up to a group, having some refreshments, doing a Bible study. It's practicing the spiritual reality that we are connected to one another and united with Christ. Now, I want to be a little sensitive with this illustration, but it has such a powerful point. You see, back in the 1800s, there were two identical twins. Their names were Chang and Eng Bunker and their bodies were connected together with a common torso and liver. They were born in Siam, which we now know as Thailand, and they traveled with P.T. Barnum and Bailey Circus it's from these two conjoined twins that the term Siamese twins came from. And although they were separate individuals, think about this, with two very distinct different minds, they had to work together in everything they did So that every move, every choice, every desire had to be considered of what was best for the both of them. They had to consider one another. And isn't that what God tells us to do in the book of Hebrews? To consider one another, because everything that we do has an impact on the entire body of Christ. That's what God tells us. Being connected in community is the cornerstone of what it means to be part of God's family. See, we're not adopted to be orphans, nor are we acquaintances who drop in on one another on the weekends. In some crazy crazy spiritual way that God has designed, we are united and connected together with him and with one another. And there's grace when we live that way. The next practice is to become. which is the practice of identity. Becoming like Jesus is very similar to metamorphosis. (laughs) I mean, think about it. It's receiving a whole new identity in Christ and learning to live in that new identity. Several years ago, I don't know if you remember this, there was a movie that came out called The Princess Diaries. It's the story of an average, ordinary teenage girl (laughs) who suddenly finds out that she's a princess. It's played by Anne Hathaway. And then there's the queen, who's played by Julie Andrews. And she tries to help this unsophisticated teenager learn to adopt her new identity as a gracious and very elegant princess. It's sheer comedy. But yet, isn't this exactly what we experience when we're adopted into God's family and receive a whole new identity? And so how do we transform and reflect Jesus in our life? How does that work? Well, let's look again at what the early church did. In Acts 2, 42 to 44, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. So we see these early believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we now have in the Bible, right? <clears throat> they shared meals. They prayed together. They shared life. They experienced God's presence. And as they did this, we get the sense that God's grace was unleashed on them, and they were transformed in their attitudes and their actions. They were becoming new people. And isn't that what the Bible says is supposed to happen? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new creation, a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. God's committed to making us like Jesus so that we represent him in the, our world, and also so that we prepare our lives for our eternity with him in heaven. Second Corinthians three eighteen says that the Holy Spirit is working in you to make you more and more like Jesus, changing you into his glorious image. Isn't that awesome? Philippians 1.5 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus. You see, the way that we focus on becoming like Jesus is to focus on Jesus because spiritual growth, you see, is sort of a side effect of us enjoying and connecting with Jesus in a beautiful and powerful way. So one of the key ways that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us and train us to be like Jesus in a gracious way is through his word, right? Through this living word, the living words of God that teach, instruct and, equ- and equip us. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says this: that all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so when we incorporate faith and community and habits of grace, like studying and reading scripture, we encounter Jesus and we're transformed by his grace and we begin to become like him. But it's not automatic, right? It's not an instant thing. It's something that takes time. It's progressive. It's day by day. Our sanctification, the changing of our life and character and actions happen as we consistently place ourselves before Jesus. <clears throat> and I think this is where a lot of us get frustrated. I know I do. Because we love instant. Don't we live in an instant world? You know, instant access, instant information. I mean, some of you were in Africa, right? And you would just. Hit a button and we could see pictures of you view all the way across the world. How crazy is that? Instantly. So, what do we expect in our Christian life? Instant. That's what we want. You know, back in the 1980s, there was a comedian named Yaakov Smirnov. I don't know if you remember him. He had immigrated to the United States from Russia. Incredibly funny. Um, Yaakov said that he was never prepared <clears throat> for the incredible variety of instant products available in American grocery stores. And so he described his first shopping trip this way. On my first shopping trip, (laughs) I saw a powdered milk. You add water and you get milk. And then I saw a powdered orange juice. You add water and you get orange juice. And then I saw a baby powder. And I thought to myself, what a country. (laughs) Unfortunately, we don't have instant spiritual formation. But if you think about it, it's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing that we don't have instant spirituality. I don't know about you, but I know myself really well. And if Jesus all of a sudden just made me like him in an instant... I just don't know that I would feel that I need him anymore. I don't feel that I would need you anymore. But it's in that day to day dependence that I learned to grow like him. And I think about the people around me and how could they relate to somebody like that? The lost and lonely people. Instead, they get to experience metamorphosis, metamorphosis. The transformation of our old lives into something new, reflecting more and more of Jesus, bit by bit, struggle after struggle, as we start to shed our own life and walk into something completely new, looking like Jesus. The next practice is to bless, which is the practice of service, a practice of service, you know, in John um, chapter 13, you see the most incredible, beautiful example of servanthood as Jesus, who is God in the flesh, gets down on his knees and begins to wash his disciples' feet like a slave. And then referring to his actions and calling them to servanthood, Jesus says this in John thirteen seventeen: Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. <laughs> Jesus tells his disciples, we have studied the scriptures together. Now do them. The ultimate test of what we truly believe is what is not from our knowledge, right? It's, it's what we do. It's our actions because we live what we truly believe. Acts 2.45 tells us, The people sold their property and their possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. Wow. I mean, think about this. These people had no savings accounts, they didn't have IRAs, retirement accounts. They lived day by day just to survive, and they gave it all. They transferred themselves to this idea of a heavenly kingdom and trusting in one another and trusting in God on a daily basis. And Jesus tells us that we receive his grace when we do what we believe, when we love and serve others like him. You know, God's so invested in this that he gives each of us a special ability, something called a spiritual gift to empower our service. 1 Peter 4.10 says that each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace in its various forms. This tells us that God has entrusted to us as stewards, to be stewards of his grace. We're given the privilege of sharing grace with others, to serve them. You know, these words, spiritual gifts, in the original Greek language, are pneumatic, which means from the spirit, and charisma, which means the word grace. Grace from the Holy Spirit, empowered to serve others. Ephesians 4, 7 to 15 describes how God distributes these gifts so that we can minister to one another, mature our faith together, and become Jesus in our world. And so once again, we practice faith and trust and belief in God in community, according to our identity, serving one another in God's grace transforms us. And then the last practice is this: build, which is the practice of replication. <clears throat> Jesus calls us to build God's kingdom by replicating or duplicating our lives into lives of others. This is how the gospel spreads. This is how grace is extended to the world. This is how God's plan of redemption is accomplished. Acts 2, 46 and 47 says that they worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You know what this reminds me of? Something I learned way back when I was a child, and that's this. If you want to make friends at the beach, you make a really big sandcastle, right? Isn't it true? And what's true with our spiritual life is that when we live in dynamic community, connected to one another, meeting one another's needs, loving and serving others, sharing our faith, it catches people's attention, and they want to be a part of it. They're drawn to it. These verses describe believers displaying Jesus, gathering their homes for support, sharing life, sharing faith, and God's grace is unleashed all around them. Daily people see them because they're interacting with people in their world, and God's adding them to their family. This is the people of God being faithful to his command to go and make disciples, which is found in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says that Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I love that in part, Right? That Jesus is with us always, especially doing the thing that we're most terrified to do, which is to share the love and grace that he's given to us with others. He's with us, and we are never alone. And as we incorporate these practices into our lives that connect us to Jesus, we place ourselves in his path, and his grace transforms our lives. And so as I close, I want to call you back to that very part where we started, and that's with faith. I want to call out faith in you so that you might believe enough to take a next step forward. And maybe that looks like going to one of our growth path classes, or maybe it's joining a community group, or finding a place of service, or practicing a new habit of grace of getting into God's word and hearing his voice through his spirit, but something that connects you to Jesus. And just imagine, doing maybe what God has said, practicing these habits of grace, receiving his grace and seeing your life transform. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace that saves us, grace that walks with us in each day, little by little, transforming our lives to look more and more like you, and we thank you for the incredible hope of our future of one day being with you in heaven. And Lord, I just want to pray. I remember being in that spot of just wondering about being desperate and crying out to God, to you, Lord. And maybe there's someone here today and they just happen to find themselves here. I pray that maybe they would take a step of faith as well just cry out to you and say, Lord, if you're real, I invite you to come in my life. I invite you to forgive my sin, to make me new. Open my eyes, help me see that you are here and that you are real and I can trust in you. Thank you for your grace in Jesus name. Amen.